All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number two, the Where Your Feet Take You podcast. I'm Kayla Bowker. And I'm Erin Oliphant. And we are very excited to be back here. We want to thank you guys for to everyone who listened, sent in some questions, subscribed to the podcast. Um, we the the amount of support we got for this was actually really amazing and really just kind of heartwarming and fulfilling and all you know kind of, we could say all all the words right all the descriptive words about it. Um, so before we get started, we just really want to say a huge thank you everybody who listened and shared the podcast last week. I know for me, it was nerve wracking to put myself out there and do this. I don't know how, how you felt, Aaron, about it. <laughs> um, yeah, we're no, really, pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty thankful to all of you who listened and shared your thoughts. Um, so we're, again, we're excited to be here and kind of continue on this journey of, you know, kind of sharing everything, our love and passion and all there is about triathlon and life. So really quick, uh, in case you are new to this channel or new to anything of following Kayla and or Aaron, I am Kayla. I am a professional triathlete, mom of two boys, a three-year-old and a one and a half-year-old, a triathlon and mental performance coach. I started Where Your Feet Take You triathlon and mental performance coaching team about six or seven years ago. And I also spend my life trying to always chase, I guess you'd say chase passion, a passion and performance. So Erin um, is an elite amateur triathlete. She's a swim coach and a triathlete coach with Where Your Feet Take You, who also loves to chase the, you know, the triathlon dream here. So again, we're excited to be here and thank you guys for sharing and being a part of this amazing and crazy journey that we're on. Um, we will have some listener questions that we're going to go over. Um, as a reminder, you can send us your questions to www.whereyourfeettakeyou.com slash podcast. The more questions that you guys send in, the more content we can and value we can hopefully provide to you. So we like your questions. Please send them over. We'll get to them as many as we can throughout these podcasts. We have just a couple that we're going to go through today. And um, don't be afraid to also reach out to us on Instagram if you need to. So before we hit the questions, though, we're just going to kind of go over and see, I don't know, Aaron, how was your week? I know how your week went, but we'll see what everybody <laughs> else thinks about it. My week was quite crafty. Um, Monday morning, my throat started to hurt, and by Monday afternoon, I had a fever um, and just felt like crap, couldn't do anything. Tuesday felt worse. Wednesday felt worse. Thursday felt worse. Uh, Thursday happened to be my birthday. I ended up in urgent care on my birthday to get some antibiotics. Uh, got those, and I'm finally starting to feel better today and was able to get in the water for just a 30-minute flush out swim and hit an hour of just low zone one on the bike and just felt good to move my body, um, but still not fully ready for that high-intensity stuff yet, but I miss it. Get an A. Yeah. I think so, apparently I shared my sinus infection with you via the <laughs> podcast. Not sure how that's, you know, possible, but that's apparently what I did. No, but I feel like we tend to get sick at the same time a lot. I mean, you're always sick. So I yes. guess it just happens to me whenever I'm yeah. sick. You just got sick. Or, I have like this like sick, so. cyclical every four to six weeks I get sick and I swear, like, I'll, I'll text you, like, ah, oh, I'm sick again. And then, like, a week later, it's like, oh, oh there I go. There's Aaron. Yeah. 
Yeah, that seems to be how yeah. it is. So how's your week, Kayla? You had a huge training week, if I recall. I had a huge training training week. Uh, I'm currently down in Arizona. Um, I came down about for about a week here. And I opened up the week for basically, we'll call it like training camp style. Um, I, yeah, I had a huge week. Um, one of my biggest yet. Let's see, what did I end up hitting? Let's take a look here. I think I ended up hitting just shy of 20, yeah, 25 hours. Uh, I was supposed to do a little bit more than that, but I missed a bike ride and then I had to cut a swim short um, just due to life. Um, when I don't have daycare with the kids, even though grandma and grandpa make that this like training completely possible, this wouldn't be possible without them. Um, it's a lot harder when there's not daycare. So it becomes a lot more juggling. And so, but yeah, it was a really huge week. I'm really happy with it. I felt like I recovered really well after every session and was able to continue, you know, wake up the next day and feel ready to go. Um, today was probably the hardest day Sunday. I don't always like to do big training sessions on Sundays. I, I like to have family time. So I usually only do like a two hour session max. And today I had 5k swim and a four hour ride. And I just did not want to do that four hour ride. I was not motivated for it. I didn't want to do it. It was windy. I just wanted to hang out with my kids. Um, but I'm going on vacation next week. And I am not training at all for like the next eight to nine days. Um, I'll still exercise while I'm out there, but I'm not training. Um, and I knew, okay, you just got to get through today and then you can spend a lot of time with your kids. So, um, yeah, I think that was the hardest part actually. It was just, you know, them being around me wanting to spend time with them. It's easier when they're at daycare. Cause then I know, okay, I just have this time frame where I don't have to worry about it. And then, we move on. So, but yeah, it went really well. I'm really excited about it. I like what it did for me. So it was good to know that I could handle like 25 plus hours training and still feel like, okay, we're actually getting something from this. We're not just accumulating like massive fatigue, which is mm -hmm. nice. I think it's also good for people to hear that you're taking a vacation, even though you have a race coming up in eight weeks and that it's okay to take time of unstructured training, even if you have a race coming up and to enjoy family time and gorgeous vacation spots yeah. and all that. Yes. It's definitely not like the most ideal time. I think my coach texted me like, <laughs> I'm trying not to be worried that you're taking this vacation, <laughs> but no, you're right. I, it, it's definitely, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's the time, only time we could get this vacation scheduled and uh, we, I, we want to be on it. And sometimes the family vacations are more important. And these are trips that we remember for the rest of our lives. And the trainings will be there. And taking eight days of unstructured training is not going to make or break my season. It, I will still be, you know, I, I'll do like 30 to 60 minutes of dedicated something every day. And that's, that'll, that'll do. Mm -hmm. And I'll come back from it ready to go. And it's, it's not worth like stressing over the fact that, okay, this week is not there. Just knowing, Hey, it's not there, but there's other pieces of it are that yeah. are, that are important to my life. And yeah. the training will come. I've put in a lot of work up to that moment. 
and, you know, we'll be good afterwards. I think, you know, it's kind of something that you kind of had to have like a realization about this week too, right? You spent the whole week really sick. Yeah. You sent me this like panic text message. <laughs> Which a it didn't ago, even seem I... panicky when I read it back, but you just know me well enough to know the state I was in when I sent it that I was panicking yeah. a little bit. I could, like hear, I could hear the stress coming through you. Like, oh my God, I'm going to have to take like five days off. I don't feel good. What am I yeah, going to do? Yeah, and I think I mentioned, I think I mentioned on the last episode how I already felt slightly underprepared headed into Oceanside because I wasn't able to do as much training in the off season as I wanted. Um, so you can imagine this past week of being sick. I was a little on edge and stressed about it. Um, but that's where it's nice to have a coach that knows you well to be able just to say, you'll be fine. Stop stressing. We'll be good um, because yeah. we will be. I have an aerobic base. I mean, I think most triathletes have an aerobic base that spans years back. Um, and you've done all that work for a reason. So when you do take time off, you can come back and it will be okay. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. And in reality, especially in situations like that, if you were to try to continue training, all you're doing is going to be digging yourself a deeper and deeper hole, which mm -hmm. will then progress to a state in which you maybe can't do something down the line. And that's worse than if you were to try to, you know, take the time off. And so it's one of those things where yep. you always want to, we talk about this idea of like how the, how you focus in situations. And that's that concept of like presence versus perfection. Right. And kind mm -hmm. of like trying to like reframe your thought process of if we focus only on perfection, then we're going to be stressed, overwhelmed. We're going to overthink things. We're going to lose sight of where it is that we are in time and space. Whereas if we focus on presence, you know that in this time and in this space that you're in right now, it's just the season that you're in and you have to be present with in that, in that exact space and it'll, everything will work out in the end. So I'm feeling more comfortable with things and just kind of riding the wave, just treating my body right because I've been in places in my life where I have not listened to my body very well. Um, and it's resulted in months of being sick and various different injuries and surgeries, both from being sick and from being injured. Um, yeah. So I'm just really trying to learn to listen to my body and know that taking a week off is way better than having to take a month off down the line. Yep. Cause it's, it's that month off that would be more problematic than that week off. Yep. Oh. And it, you know, that also kind of comes down to a little bit of trust. Like you trust to know yourself and trust to know that you can come out of it the right direction. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been good. I'm definitely excited to get back to training though. I've really been enjoying running lately, um, which has been a lot of fun for me because it's not something I've always enjoyed. Um, but the weather here in Phoenix has been perfect. So any excuse to be outside is a good one right now. Seriously. Just being able 
Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this week has so been nice. this week has been amazing. The weather's just like perfect this time of year. Though it's been yeah. it was very windy on my ride today. My dad, my dad came riding. Well, he drove me out to the area where we went riding. He went he, and then he went for like a 25 mile ride and I did four hours and I came back and I was like, Oh my God, that's it was so windy. I felt like I just had to deal with this like huge headwind for like two hours of my four hour ride. And he looked at me like I was like crazy. He said, it wasn't windy out there, Kayla. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Because I rode for my hour. I did my hour outside today, and I thought it was pretty normal wind, which is why I guess in Kona, I was like, it's not windy. And I don't think we had an abnormally windy day, um, especially compared to no. Ironman, Texas. <laughs> But oh yes, Ironman. yes, <laughs> that was that was like biking into a brick wall. <laughs> that was no, rough. but where so like where my parents are located is Buckeye, like Barado area, mm-hmm. which is west of Phoenix, and where yes. I ride is like wheat fields, desolate, nothing. So if there is any wind, it just whoosh, like blows straight through it. Like there's nothing to stop it. It's like when you get down mm-hmm. closer to you, at least there's like, it gets broken up a little Sometimes. bit. Sometimes. Yeah. I swear today. wasn't bad. I'm probably um, being anyone's... overdramatic. <laughs> if anyone's familiar with the Arizona area, there's one street um, called Rio Verde, North Scottsdale, and it's basically a nine mile, I think like 2% grade climb. And when you get a headwind on that, which is frequent. It's That's what I was doing rough. today. <laughs> yeah, so I basically ride. We were like go up, up and over the white tanks. Like so, basically, you ride mm-hmm. from like the farmlands, middle of nowhere, to oh, you, to middle of nowhere. Skylar's coming to say hi, everybody. Um, middle of nowhere, <laughs> and you have to go up and then back over it. Okay. Skylar came to say hi, um, but point of that conversation, Arizona, beautiful place to ride, but there can also be a lot of open area with a lot of wind. Um, personally, though, I love training in the harsh weather conditions sometimes Agreed. because it just makes me feel so much more prepared on race day that I'm ready for whatever the day brings. Um, oh, like I, I 100% you know, agree with that. Yeah, at Kona, I went in not worried about the heat at all, and I felt like I was never really affected by it because I was so used to training in it. Now, St. George was a different story. I'm not used to training in the cold, and that was a little rough for me. Yeah. Um, Well, I think a lot of people struggled at St. George for that. Yeah. (laughs) But I love pushing it in the hard weather conditions sometimes because I do think it helps when you get to race day. Just feel ready for no matter what. 100%. Really kind of comes down to like that experience and knowing, right? Okay, I have experienced this, and so when I put myself into that other situation, I can almost imagine and picture. Oh, I've done this before, or I've done harder, or I've done hotter, or I've done windier, and knowing, yeah, I tackled that. I can tackle this. There, you know. So it's mm-hmm. one of those where I definitely, you know, as a coach, it's easy to. I often see it easy for athletes to. Right, we have a lot of technology nowadays that allows us just to be inside, and it's easy to say, "Oh, I'm just going to be inside and get this done." Well, sometimes it's like, "Okay, no, like 
go out there, ride the wind, ride, ride, you know, as long as you're going to be safe, right? You always want to make sure you know, mm -hmm. there's that line or if you're not going to be safe then don't do it. But it's important to, it is important to get yourself out in the elements to, especially when we're talking about biking, I think, because there's so much like, right. There's, there's bike handling skills and there's so many of us that just don't, don't spend enough time outside and we don't have bike handling skills in the wind and the potential, the rain or the ups and downs or the terrain. And that is an important piece of triathlon because you, if you're a long course triathlete, you spend a lot of time on the bike you need to be able to mm -hmm. know how to handle it. Riding a bike feels so different outside than it does on the trainer too, especially if you have more of a race wheel on your bike that's wider. If you're not used to crosswinds hitting you and you go out on race day and there's any type of wind, it's going to throw you for a loop, um, which makes it even more important yeah. to get outside and train. So yep, I think 100%. there's a time and place for indoor sessions where everything's controlled mm -hmm. if you have like a really specific session that you need to hit. But for the most part, like yeah. go outdoors, enjoy it. Mm -hmm. The nice thing, you know, nice thing about indoor training, this kind of, you know, kind of a good topic is like that, that balance of like how much indoor training, outdoor training, you know, cause what, you know, a lot of age groupers, it's hard to do the outdoor training during the week because they work, maybe they work nine to five or they work, you know, during the day. So the trainer is really, really powerful tool because it allows people who have a busy schedule to get good structured training in, but it is important to take the time on the weekends and say, okay, I have to train indoors all week. I'm going to at least get, at least get one day a week. That's what I always try to tell athletes, like totally fine. If you want to do all your weekday sessions indoors, but let's shoot for one day a week. We get outside on the bike where we're, we're in the elements, we're in the terrain and just being comfortable being outside. Um, because there's a, a lot to say too, about confidence on the bike. If you're confident on the bike, you're going to be faster because you're going to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if you're comfortable, you're going to be faster. It's just, there's no question about it. Um, and it's hard to get confident in terrain and elements indoors. Yep. Especially when it comes to hill riding. I think um, I see a lot of people who are really uncomfortable going down hills because they never trained going downhill. Um, and it can be intimidating, yeah. but learning how to be an arrow going down a hill is a really good skill to have because it makes a big difference speed wise. Um, and if you can get out and train mm -hmm. it and kind of ease yourself into it during training, so it's not the first time on race day. I will just pay off. Yeah. It pays off dividends. Yeah. hundred percent. Awesome. Well, let's move on to a couple of our questions here. Um, we are going to start. This is a question that, uh, for Aaron more specifically, she'll be, have better answers than I do, but it's from, uh, Blake who is actually a, where if you take your athlete, he says, Hey, Kayla and Aaron, I have a question about swimming with a wetsuit in open water. I train entirely in a pool and 95% of the time without a wetsuit. I've noticed in races that swimming in open water and in a wetsuit feels very different. I am an average swimmer who is still working at developing my stroke, but are there any changes in your stroke or do you have any tips 
we have for swimming in a wetsuit and or open water. Specifically when you train mostly in a bright train and mostly in a pool and have to switch back and forth. That this was a really great one because you came from a swimming background, right? You swam mm -hmm. collegiate swimmer entirely in a pool. And then when you did switch to triathlon, you did notice that you kind of had to make some changes a little bit. So um, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts <laughs> on this guy. So first I'll kind of go over why a wetsuit might feel different than not having a wetsuit on. Um, one, a wetsuit provides a lot more buoyancy than just your average Speedo. Um, the way it's designed, the thicker it is generally, the more you're gonna float on top of the water. Um, just meaning you don't have to put in as much work to not drown. Um, the other thing a wetsuit <laughs> does, and the higher compression you go, um, it's going to place compression on areas that you need to activate to swim the best. Um, so like, like shoulders. Yeah, shoulders, uh, your core, you'll notice there might be panels on the core um, and those just help activate everything and kind of get you in line where you're supposed to be. Um, so we should mostly always be faster in a wetsuit because of that. Um, the higher end wetsuit you have, the more shoulder flexibility you'll get generally. Um, so if you're someone who's very used to swimming, you probably want a lot of flexibility in your shoulder because you want to be able to extend and pull back all the way. Um, and then the part about things you might want to consider doing differently. Um, one adjustment I made is when I was a pool swimmer, I swam almost entirely in catch up, um, which means that my hand was getting to the front of the stroke before my other hand started pulling water again, um, which in my head, that seemed like it would be a great thing for triathlon because it seems like you, I'd conserve energy doing that way. Um, but I actually learned that if you have a stroke that's just in a really like solid rhythm um, where you're almost at like six and 12 o'clock at a clock, so your arms are kind of parallel to each other, math's not my thing, um, but your arms are in like a, directly across from each other at all times and you can just find that rhythm. It's going to be really beneficial because your heart rate's going to kind of become steady. Um, so you'll have a steady heart rate and you're not wearing out your muscular um, endurance system as yeah. much because you don't, when you're swimming and catch up, you're it's almost all strength-based. If you can find that steady rhythm where your arms are kind of just moving through, um, it's just more cardio, which all triathletes kind of have that yeah. cardio just to keep going. Um, and the other thing is when you're doing that and your arms are at 12 and six, you don't have to worry as much about the waves moving you around um, because you're constantly putting pressure against the water to keep you moving forward. Whereas if you're swimming in catch up and you have one arm in front of you, one arms above your head during the recovery portion of the stroke, um, nothing's moving you forward then. And the water can push you from side to side or backwards and it can throw you out of line um, and ruin your sighting. So Kayla, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Do you have any questions about what no, I No, it does. Yeah, because if you, especially if you watch, um... You know, it's kind of, it is, that's, it's that fine balance. Like I found for me, one, what really made a difference was 
Um, cause I do a lot of like practicing kind of like that catch up thought process, because as an adult onset swimmer, someone who taught themselves basically how to swim race style swimming, you know, I always knew how to swim, but I tr- taught myself how to be faster, I guess you could say. swimming. I um, I definitely was like a windmill swimmer, like mm. one, like, right. Imagine a windmill you know what that looks like. And that's how I swam still sometimes do. So I do a lot of catch up practice to try to get that, that length and to try to get myself to focus on um, distance per stroke. But when you are out in open water, um, I have found that you do have to have a little bit higher tempo. You can't swim and catch up. And so it's kind of, for me, one thing that I found to focus is like focusing more on, okay, not quite catch up, but when my hand recovering hand gets kind of maybe to my ear, closer to my ear, then I need to start the stroke. So it get, really got me into like a better tempo where I wasn't, I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't windmilling, but I wasn't slow. Um, yeah. And I thought and my that guess was, is that when was you really were, helpful for me. And my guess is when you were windmilling, you weren't finishing your stroke entirely, no. which is why no. it wasn't efficient. So I think that's yeah. going to be, um, the biggest problem for people who learn to swim later in life or just didn't grow up swimming mm-hmm. um, is that when they try and do a higher tempo, they won't finish past their hip. They'll pull their arm out before yep. it's ever fully extended, um, which is just yeah. wasting a whole lot of propulsion. That is the most important part of the stroke. And what it does is it really does exactly what you said before. It gets you basically using your musk overly using your muscular system. So you're getting through the swim and you're tired, you're tired, you're way too tired. You've used up glycogen, you've used up energy, and then we have to bike, right? So part of what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. when we swim is we're trying to teach our bodies to get out of the water and be still efficient and have the energy to go swimming or sorry, to go biking. And that's a piece of it as well. (laughs) Yep. Um, it's a really important piece. And that's why just focusing on your swimming and focusing on how to be an efficient swimmer, um, is really important. And even though the swim is such a short portion of a triathlon, when you compare it time-wise to the bike and the run, it's really important for how the race sets up, um, which is something I've learned because being a swimmer coming into the sport. I was like, this is BS. The swim doesn't matter. Like, this isn't an advantage at all. Um, but now that I've spent a couple years in the sport, I've realized how nice it is to be a strong swimmer. Because when I start off the uh, race confident, um, two, I know how to conserve my energy on the swim better than most people out there, which has yeah. paid a huge benefit on the bike. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why you know, even some of the best swimmers out there, the pro, you know, pro swimmers, and they, they swim five to six days a week. Um, and it's like, well, why do they swim so much? And it's like, well, a lot of it has to do with fitness. You can gain a lot of fitness from swimming a lot. Um, and it can really benefit you. Now that's not necessarily always, you know, something that age groupers can do, but it's the more that you can get yourself in the water. Again, that also comes down to confidence and, and swimming is so technique driven. 
um, that the more you can swim and not necessarily long swims, right? You and I have talked about this mm -hmm. in the past where it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be going out there crushing 5k swims all the time, but if you can swim more consistently and do less like two to three K, um, or if you don't even have time, even if it's 1500 to two K and you're in there swimming and you're just getting water feel that can make a huge, huge difference for your mm -hmm. swimming ability. I know it did for me. That was a big change that happened for me is when my coach and I started having me swim five to six days a week. And for a while we swam like five to six days a week. And I swam, I never swam more than like 2,600 yards for like a big span, but my swimming was getting yeah. better and better and better because, and because I was just swimming consistently. So I was constantly had touch of the water and feel the water. And it made a huge difference for my swimming. Feel for the water is a huge thing that cannot be underestimated. Um, just even if you time in the water growing up, you see those people learn to swim at a much better rate because they just understand the water. They understand how you move in the water, what motion in the water makes your body do what. Um, and the more you can be in the water and just kind of experience the water, um, the better. Like I hardly ever do 5k swims, maybe once a week yeah, we when I'm like full on Ironman training. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to do them long but, for you. Um, yeah, it's just really not needed. You just need to be in the water and feel it. That's the most important thing with swimming. hundred percent. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so hopefully Blake that helped a little bit. Um, I know, as you know, Blake, like I said, Blake's a where if you take your athlete, he's been working with Aaron um, in her swim analysis. He's been making some good improvements. So we're excited to see, continue to watch him improve. Um, this next question is one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, so this is from Jackie, um, Jackie Day. And she says, hello team. I am currently 17 weeks into my first pregnancy and all is going well. Yay, congratulations. Is it possible Congrats. to continue to improve bike strength as the pregnancy progresses if my body continues to feel good? I would love to hear your experience with your pregnancy. So this will be very much something that I um, answer. Um, <clears throat> and she says, keep up the great work. Thanks, Jackie. So um, I really wanted to include this one. So I know even Aaron has not experienced this, uh, but this is not something yet. Hopefully that one is very, day. very, like said, hopefully one day but very near and dear to my heart and um, a big piece of what I like to share with the world. So um, I, I had um, two, I've had two babies so far um, two, with very, very healthy pregnancies. I trained through all of both of them. Um, with my first, I did four 70.3s. Um, all my last one I did when I was 20 weeks. And then with Baylor, I, I did not race with Baylor just due to timing because I was more pregnant by the time racing started, I was like past the 20 week mark. And for me, that's when I wanted to stop racing. But is it possible to continue to improve bike strength? And, and in reality, it's, it's possible to continue to improve all strengths, whether that be running, strength training, swimming, et cetera, biking. Um, because you, the movement that you're doing is kind of the important piece. And I, I believe very strongly because I biked a lot when I was pregnant with Baylor um, and I swam a lot. Um, that's kind of the two that I did the most. And I actually felt like I came out of having, after being pregnant with Baylor, a better biker. 
Like I just had, I felt like I was stronger. Um, and I think it's cause I just, again, kind of like what we just talked about swimming. I spent more time doing it. Um, I spent a lot of time doing it. Um, and it's one of those where I think it's easy to get lost in this idea of my times, right? My, 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 mm-hmm. my watts maybe have to decrease or my run pace has to decrease or my swim pace is getting slower and slower and everything's getting slower and it's easy to get really really caught up in that and i think that's a problem no matter what like whether you're pregnant or not maybe the season of training that you're in is you need to slow down and it's so easy to get caught up in this idea of well i had to decrease my ftp or i had to now i'm and i'm swimming 150s when i was previously swimming 130s and or maybe now I'm running 10 minute miles and I have to walk, but that's okay because you're still making the movement. Your body is being, is activating in the way that it needs to activate in order to perform the exercise. And you are keeping yourself strong and healthy. You are still going to have a lot of neuroplasticity that's going to allow your body to remember what it did. So it's one of those things where there's actually like a study and definitely do not, I'm not going to quote this study very at all because I don't remember it. I just remember a physical therapist told me this when I had hip surgery that, um, what did he say? Whatever you do. So like if you have hip surgery on your left side, he said, whatever you're doing on your right side due to neuroplasticity within the body. So the way kind of the neurons work within the muscles and just, all the things I'm not going to say that very well because it is not my expertise. Um, and 11% of what you did on that right side is going to transfer to that left side because everything is kind of interconnected and training while pregnant is kind of a very similar thing. And on top of that, more importantly, if, if it makes you feel good when you're pregnant, do it. That, that for me, that was big. I felt like garbage during most of both my pregnancies and training was the one time I didn't feel like garbage and it made me feel good. And knowing that I was doing something from kind of being, okay, as long as I keep doing this, it's going to benefit me down the road is really important. Like that's something that I talk to you guys about all the time, right? Like what we're doing today is not necessarily benefiting us tomorrow benefiting us three months down the road, six months down the road, a year down the road because of that whole consistency piece, right? The more that you do something and the more that you keep yourself consistent with it, the easier it becomes when you need to try to, you know, pull on that time that you did something. We're seeing that right now with you, Aaron, kind of with your running that we've, you finally have put in some really good space and yeah, you took some time off with, um, you kind of took some time off in the postseason, but you came back to running stronger than you ever started. Mm-hmm. Even though My, you took time Because your body just remembers it. If you've done it, mm-hmm. your brain doesn't just forget that you've ever done that work. Your brain remembers the movements you've put in. So even if it's not at the same time or pace that you were previously at, the motions are still there and it will help you get back to where you were faster and then help you improve faster because your body kept that range of motion and the movement patterns and all of that good stuff. Yeah. There is nothing wrong. You are still, just because you're getting slower does not necessarily mean that you're not getting stronger. And Mm -hmm. and when we're talking pregnancy, 
you are going to get slower. There's no questions about it. You're going to have to lower your FTP. You are going to have to start walking. You are going to have to probably use a swim buoy. It's the way that it is. And, but you're still in there and you're still doing the work and it's good for recovery after having the baby. It's good for, good for the baby. It's good for your mental health, your physical health. And sometimes we have to put aside necessarily this idea of, oh, well, am I improving strength in the sense that I'm getting quote unquote faster? Because you're not really, it's that idea of progress is going, going to look funky, right? Progress isn't always linear. Sometimes progress is going kind of going backwards, but you're still making progress in what you're doing. And that's kind of important to remember. Um, so I, you know, I definitely think if we're just answering the question, is it possible to continue to improve bike, bike strength as pregnancy progresses? Yeah, because you're still out there doing the work and you will notice it down the road. And I think that's where you have to really focus and remember yeah. that what you're doing is for, is for down the road. And it does kind of come back to this idea of presence versus perfection, Right. You can't can't always be perfect and focusing more on the season that you're in and what you need to do in that season versus having to be exactly perfect. I think it also is with another theme that will probably be a constant with us is that sometimes you just need to forget about the numbers on the screen at that moment yeah. that they don't 100%. matter like it you might not 100%. be where you are and that's okay you've got to let that go um and you've just got to enjoy being where you are in that moment and putting work in even if the numbers aren't where you want them to be turn off the watch it's okay like mm -hmm. everything will be okay <laughs> yeah kind of change your thought process on what you're doing in that space right if you need right i love that turn off the watch and maybe this means that yeah during my pregnancy I, I know that I'm going to get slower, so I'm just going to stop having watts on the bike and I'm just going to get outside and I'm going to enjoy it. Or I'm going to put on a stupid movie and I'm going to get lost in that movie on Zwift and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because mm -hmm. it's still pro it's still progress. It's still mo forward movement. And I think that that's definitely where the important piece and yeah, I agree with you. This will be, that'll be a constant theme with us in a lot of these podcasts from hearing from us is not always getting so worked up about the numbers. That is something that uh, in coaching that I, I, I saw, I see so much of is this extreme need to always hit exactly perfect numbers. And that's not possible. Like, even when we take my ride today, I didn't hit the watts that I'm structured should have hit or like in quotation marks was programmed to hit, but I had a really good ride. I was really strong. I was steady. I was consistent. I pushed myself um, in when I was able to hold good pace through the wind and I stayed super arrow and I never bonked and I was at the end of a really long training week and it, so if I was to sit here and look at my data from a watt standpoint, I'd be like, oh man, that was a crappy ride. But it was actually a really good one because the effort was appropriate. 
for what I needed it to be. That's something we've been working with you a lot on. Yep, and it's something that I'm happy to say I think I've gotten a lot better about is really yes. looking at the workout beforehand, deciding what the focus of that workout is and how I want to feel when the workout's done. And if I, all those things at the end match what I said I wanted them to be before the workout, then the numbers really don't matter um, because yeah. I executed how I was meant to execute that workout, even if the paces weren't there for that day. Um, it was still more than likely that same training benefit I was trying to get out of it. 100%. And you touched on a really good point, and that's something that I teach a lot of you guys, right? And that, like, I'm an exercise that I have you guys do is not let the session dictate how you're going to feel, but you dictate how you're going to feel within the session. So instead of instead of pulling up your session and looking at it, maybe you have VO2 max intervals, right? Which everybody hates. That's why it's such a good example. But you have VO2 max intervals and your first, you look at the session and then go, oh, I can't, those are really high watts. I can't hit that. Well, you just let the session dictate how you're going to feel. You just let the session tell you you can't do it. But instead, if at first, before you even look at the session, you determine your intention for it, and what you want to achieve out of it, then you are dictating how the session is going to go. You're putting intention behind it first. You're creating space for execution and presence. And then at the end, that allows you to have maybe checked off some sort of goal or checked off a piece or an execution. And even if you didn't necessarily hit the watts perfectly, you leave feeling a lot more confident in the session and like you accomplish something instead of then starting to spiral down a negative dark path where I suck at biking. I can't do this. I'm never going to be good. I'm never going to be fast. I can't hit those watts. When in reality, as long as you tried and did as best you can and you executed appropriately, you're going to get at least a decent amount of the benefit that you need out of it. Yeah. Nobody is ever going to hit their numbers perfectly every single workout they do. And if they do, their numbers probably aren't set quite high, uh, set quite high enough. Um, it's just not realistic and it's okay to have off days. And you'll have some days where you're rocking it and your numbers are way better than you ever would have thought. Um, but you just got to know that it's okay if your numbers aren't there and it's yeah. okay every now and then to turn off the watch and just not focus at all on the numbers. Yeah. I mean, you'll see a lot of professional triathletes who don't even wear a watch when they run. They don't wear, maybe they don't even look at their bike computer. There's been plenty of times where I've done a um, specifically 70.3s done them and not even once looked at my watts 100% off effort because I just know I need to get out there and I need to go balls to the walls because that's what the race is for same with the run I remember a 70.3 Chattanooga last year I think I looked at my watch twice in 13 miles because I didn't that wasn't the point right looking at my watch wasn't going to help me I was chasing people down. I had to chase them down. That's all that I had to focus on. 
sometimes we pay too much attention to our numbers and they can, they're meant to be guidelines and they're meant to help stru create structure. They're not necessarily meant to always be so specific, especially when we're talking kind of like the age group um, level, right? When you do get into the like top end of the professional level, that becomes a lot more prevalent. But most of the time, we're talking within a space of age group level where we're trying to become the best version of ourself. And that is not necessarily mm -hmm. so geared towards the numbers. It needs to be more focused on you and the pieces, you know, what makes you the best version of you from a belief standpoint, a confidence standpoint, um, an execution standpoint, and not necessarily, oh, that data point said X, Y, and Z. Yep. I think a lot of times we get too, too invested in the data um, without even knowing really how to use the data we collect half the time. Uh, we yeah. just love numbers. I think it's human instinct just to love numbers because it's something quantifiable. Um, yeah, it's hard to quantify effort. To go on a field. Yeah. And I think it's really hard. Very, it's very hard to quantify effort. And that's where it gets scary. Because then it's like, well, where's my progress? Right? That's what I always hear. Like, well, then what's my progress mm -hmm. look like? Well, your progress looks like, how did that effort, right? How did that effort initially feel? Was it easier this time? And a lot of times they say, well, yeah, it felt a lot easier. Boom, there's progress. Did yeah. you, did you recover faster during your recovery sets? Yes. Boom, progress. Were you able to do the entire session this time without feeling like you're going to explode? Yes. Boom, progress. Did you were you get able to get through a month of training? <laughs> were you able to get through a month of training without injury because you didn't push every session? Oh, you were? Progress. Okay, we're getting better then. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many if different ways. If we can ways expand to... our boundaries on what progress looks like, it's amazing how we will actually feel like we're going moving somewhere. Mm hmm. All right. Well, let's see. We are, yeah, we're about 45 minutes in. We, I have a three-year-old here that is extremely tired. Um, we are extremely past our bedtime with, um, <laughs> at this exact moment, it's 8 p.m. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, I go to bed at 7 <laughs> with the kids. It's like my <laughs> special quiet time. <laughs> if you ever, if, most of the time, if anybody texts me after 7 p.m., no matter what time zone I'm in, I'm probably not going to answer you. And I love there, that you have that boundary for yourself. It's a very important boundary for oh. me because I spend all day. I usually get up at between four and five and start working. The kids are usually up super early and then all day long it's go, 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 go. And at 7 PM, I, I don't want to talk to people. I want to snuggle with my kids and maybe be asleep before eight and scroll social media because why not? <laughs> I have no issues. I'm one of those who I can like totally scroll social media and then I can be asleep and be fine. I don't recommend that for those of you that are listening. I don't necessarily <laughs> recommend that. That is not necessarily healthy. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a good night's sleep. It is not what I recommend to people. However, it is what I do. 
and we're going that's just the way that it is and it works for you right now so that's all that really it works for me you just gotta find <laughs> what works so yeah like I'm I know trying I get a lot of time before bed oh I keep just saying I'm gonna do there. that it's, I always say oh yeah I'm gonna read next thing I know I'm watching tv or something it's like i just don't have like the mental capacity to even read but my bigger issue i think that's is if it. i oftentimes start reading at night i stay up way too late yeah in fact about me i was not I allowed to read issue. at night when i was a kid because you just couldn't because, put the book down uh-huh i had to finish it i'm one of those it's like if i start reading i have to finish it so my parents would come in and be like one in the morning and I'm like 11 years old and they're like, Kayla, it's one in the morning. You're not supposed to be up this late. And I was reading a book like under the covers with a flashlight <laughs> because I didn't want them to know that I was awake. Yeah. I love that. So I usually don't read at night. But all right, I have to go put some kids to bed here. Um Thank you for the couple of questions that we had. We did have a couple. Um, we had another one in there, but we'll save that for next time. Um, again, if you want us to answer any questions or if there's anything you want us to talk about, please um, send us your questions. We want to hear them at to slash podcast. You can just head over to the website and it will take you there. Um, we are we welcome all questions and. Um, we look forward to reading them. They were fun to receive. They were fun to read. Um, and we're excited to continue to share this journey with you guys. So thank you again for listening and we will see you guys next week. Thanks everybody.